believe life can be a journey toward wholeness, toward reconnecting with who we are authentically meant to be. We walk this path of growth and discovery with our children, with our partners, within ourselves. These are the stories of what's possible. These are the conversations that light the way. Welcome to Soul Path Parenting. Hello, Amy. Hi, Lauren. I'm happy we're back. (laughs) I'm so happy to be back. It's been a minute. It's been a little bit since our last episode released, and I got COVID, (laughs) which I'm I'm able to laugh about it now. (laughs) Um, I got COVID, and that interfered with our recording schedule. So for anyone who noticed that it's been a minute since our last episode dropped, I had to delay our recording schedule due to having COVID. And that has been an interesting experience for me um, on so in so many ways. I'm so glad to be back. I'm so excited to feel almost back to full energy levels. Yeah. And be able to talk and, um, you know, breathe well and all of those things. And I'm excited to talk about what we were planning to talk about a little while ago. And now here we are able to talk about different phases and seasons and what's most alive. Yeah. What's most alive. So I love this concept of aliveness. I think you may have brought that into our collaboration (laughs) because we would get onto a call, either a prep call or even a recording session. And we always, you would always check in Mm -hmm. and say, what's feeling alive for you? What's feeling alive for me is, and it brought a new awareness to me of what does that even mean? Like, I love playing with what feels alive. We now try, I think a lot of the time on the podcast to exist in that sandbox of playing with what's most alive. And I'm curious where that came from for you and what that means. Yeah, for me, it's deeply connected to giving myself permission to be fully present in this moment and remember my freedom in this moment. So the the transition that happened for me was from a place of, I'm free to make decisions. I'm free to make plans. I'm free to choose what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it. And then when that moment arrives, when it's time to deliver on the plan, I have to deliver on the plan. And we've talked about have to energy before. And so there was this shift for me just in the last couple of years, and it was connected to becoming an entrepreneur because previously when I was a teacher and an employee and I was meeting expectations that that I was collaborating and co-creating with others, I just, you know, I would do what was expected of me to the best of my ability, unless I got sick or COVID, (laughs) something like that, (laughs) that would interfere. But in general, just the way I was functioning was here's where I have choice and here's where I don't. And then I became an entrepreneur and then I started experimenting more 
with even more freedom, even more choice, the ability to adjust the schedule. When, when I became my own boss, I could set a schedule, make a plan, and then if in that moment something else was feeling more alive or I wanted to shift things around, I had that freedom too. And yeah. so starting to play with that, starting to experiment with that, starting to get more in touch with what's really alive in the moment attuned me more to myself. And then I started attuning to other people. So if if I scheduled a meeting with someone, I've had this happen countless times now that this is part of how I function. I've had meetings with a variety of humans where we had a plan, we scheduled the meeting, we show up at the meeting, and I would do my typical check-in. Now, how are you right now? What's most alive for you right now? I'll share what's most alive for me right now. And sometimes that would lead to a conversation that wouldn't have happened if we had just stuck to the plan. And sometimes we could have the freedom to adjust the plan and to make space for that. So that's been... um yeah, part of my expansion and presence in the moment, freedom, all the permissions, all the choices, all the freedoms when possible. Because there are yeah. still times when there's something that needs to happen at a certain time. And even if something is feeling slightly more alive to me, I'm also still able to contain that and focus on what I want to focus on, choose to focus on need to focus on even. But my default mode used to be automatically always deliver on the plan. And then this this is really a relatively new still practice of creating space to, to um, explore what's most alive, even if it's not what was planned. I love that. I love that permission. We, in our culture, well, in modern life, have given so much power to the clock, to time, mm -hmm. which is just this human construct, right? Like in agricultural times, they didn't have clocks. They didn't even set the same time village, the, the time in each village <laughs> would be different because mm -hmm. they would maybe have a church with a bell and, but nobody would know what time it was. And they really responded more to the seasons, right? The time frame they were contemplating more, um, that was more obviously uh, important when growing food is the seasons. So we now in the industrial era with mechanization and the need for synchronization, the clock has mm -hmm. become so powerful and so much more powerful than I think is really um, congruent with humans thriving. And mm -hmm. so in a way you're embodying this example of presence versus that plan that was made in the past about the future. So it had nothing to do with the actual present. Mm -hmm. So I love that sort of freeing ourselves up. And of course there are some times that things need to happen that are planned, but creating from a place of presence, mm -hmm. that's so powerful. And I love that you've brought that insight. And I'm a very much of a how person. I love to talk about the how. So how do you identify what's most alive for you in any given moment? 
That's such an awesome question. I love that question. And I, I love your interest in how and asking how. And I love sharing how I have experienced myself learning how to do new things. And then I love hearing the different ways that other people might achieve something similar. So I love sharing my how. And I also love naming that all growth is experimental. And when we realize there's something we want to move towards, we can experiment with how we move towards it. So for me, my how did I gain, or I could say regain, access to full aliveness in the present moment, wholeness in the present moment? And for me, what that brings up for me is, well, how did I lose it in the first place? Because as a child, as a young child, I feel like my natural state was wholeness in the present moment, fully, wholly alive in the present moment, and that was all that there was. And then with things that are connected to what you were naming earlier, mechanization, industrialization, standardization, and synchronization with time among different communities and all of those things, I started school. I started traditional school, and I started to be told when to do things, how to do those things, and I listened, I obeyed, but in order to comply and obey with, you know, my mother who said it's time to go to school now, with the teacher who said it's time to do the math worksheet now, with all these people, I often unconsciously or consciously, and I'm not sure how often it was conscious or unconscious in my early childhood, I would have to choose between honoring what was actually most alive for me in the moment, which might have been staring at, out the window at a butterfly that I saw, or doing what I was being asked to do in that moment immediately in this way. And so it created this either-or situation in me, and then my default pattern became doing what was asked of me, doing what was expected of me. And in, in my young adulthood... So when I think about elementary school and even high school, it was really a large orientation of what is expected of me. What do I have to do? What are the adults telling me I need for the future? And then I got to college and I felt like I gained more choice. I got to choose what I majored in. I got to choose which classes. There were many more choices than I had experienced prior to that place. So I started choosing, but I still would then show up and perform based on whatever choices were made. And that was true for me in college, grad school, and as a high school English teacher and a community college adjunct professor. Those were the jobs that I did after college. And then I taught at a Montessori school. And it wasn't until... I, like I said earlier, became an entrepreneur and started actively studying wholeness, wisdom, traditions, conscious parenting, all of these things that I remembered everything 
is available in the present moment. Everything. It doesn't have to be separated out. It's not in this moment I have choice and then in this moment I don't. And once that started to kind of percolate in my being, and then I started to play with it because I felt even more free, I gained or regained access to, I can make a plan with the best of intentions, and it can be absolutely what's true for me in this moment to make that plan. And if I make that plan for next Thursday, and then that later moment next Thursday arrives, and I show up and I check in with myself and I say, actually, there's something else that feels much more alive to me in this moment, and I would like to create space for that right now. And if that plan that I authentically wanted to plan on last week is still important enough, I will come back to it. And so I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, that's one way I would describe how I feel like I shifted in these ways. Yeah. It brought up for me a few different thoughts. One is just the joy of my watching my five-year-old be so present mm-hmm. in his life. And it's an interesting dance that we do with young children. My youngest is five. And what's most alive for him during bedtime routine, when I have an agenda that includes getting teeth brushed and books <laughs> read, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, I don't know. It's the funny, it's the littlest, it'll be a Hot Wheels car, but it might not even be a Hot Wheels car. It might be like a sticker or like a piece of a gummy type of toy that we would have flung against the window, but now it's broken apart and he's just like, look at this one little thing. Like he just, that's what's most alive for him. That's what he wants to focus on in that moment. And as a parent, it's a, a an aspiring to be conscious parent. It's an interesting dance. I'm curious what you would say about it because what I have sort of landed on is, as how we do things with, with my son who I don't want to rip out of his present moment, but at the same time I know, and, and he agrees because I ask him, he, he would prefer not to have cavities, like brushing teeth. We right. would like to have that happen. We'd mm-hmm. like to have a great day tomorrow because, you know, we went to bed and got enough sleep. So I've started earlier is what I do. Like I, I allow for more time. That's my one big hack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dedicate more time to bedtime routine so that there's actually flexibility. And like I said, I look at it almost like a dance because, yeah, he's going to go play with a Hot Wheels car and you know, he'll want to know which one is my favorite because there's many and we'll do a little thing with that. And then we'll go back and forth to the bathroom and doing the things that need to get done. How do you, do you remember how you dealt with, I have a two part question. Do you remember, uh, or do you have any thoughts for our listeners who are largely parents about, um, supporting our children in their aliveness at the different ages? I'm curious if you remember when you're now, I think almost 15, Yeah, almost 15 and almost 13. Yeah, your old kiddos. And and then I'm also curious how you support them tuning into what's alive for them. And I know unschooling is also a part of that. Could you talk about the parenting side of aliveness? Absolutely. And I love what you shared and I love all of your questions. I think what is most alive for me in this moment is talking about co-creation 
with our children. Co-creation is a word that I love, and that has been really powerful for me in my transformation. And then another way to talk about it would be partnership, partnering. Because the way I experienced my elementary school and high school years, I did not feel partnered. I did not feel like my input, my preferences, my interests, what was most alive for me was being included or considered in the experiences that I was having. When I got to college, I wrote a paper and I had a professor say, where is your voice? Your voice isn't in this paper. Your voice should be in this paper. And I said, what are you talking about? My voice. I learned in elementary and high school to write the way the teacher wanted me to write, to like mimic their voice. And I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. And I got good grades doing that. Yeah. And then in college, I had a professor who was looking for uniqueness, who was looking for innovation, who was looking for something more than well-worded regurgitation. And that was an awakening experience for me. And so what what I want to tell you, I want to tell you two things. I want to tell you the truth of my early experiences with my children and where we are today. And then I want to tell you what I wish I would have done with my children from birth had I known then and had I had all the tools that I have now from learning conscious parenting and learning how to partner with children and co-create with children intentionally in a way that is balanced. And that's the key. So, um, and, and talking about balance, I think it's valuable for me to mention, I'm going to come back to myself first, and then I'm going to share about my children's actual reality and then the wishful reality. But first and foremost, sometimes when I talk about the things that I regained access to, and I'm so excited about all the freedom in every moment, sometimes I don't do justice to the balance that I still seek in my life because there's value in all the options, all the permissions, all the choices. And there's still also immense value for me in following through on what I've planned on, even when that isn't the most alive thing in that moment. But it is still in alignment for me and connected to something that I truly want. So like the example you shared about cavities, you know, Most nights, I don't feel like brushing my teeth. Brushing my teeth is not the most alive thing for me in that moment. I'd rather be singing a song or writing a book or painting or doing something else than brushing my teeth. But I don't want cavities. And I do like my teeth feeling clean also. So there are are these either-or choices. It's hard to... Another really important part of my practice is letting go of hierarchies. And so even when we talk about what is most alive for me in this moment, and I try to hierarchicalize what's most alive, 
if I use my mind to do that, I'm like, well, I would always rather be singing a song than brushing my teeth. But it's just more complicated than that. And yeah, I'm, I'm starting to struggle to really talk about this in a concise, clear way because, um, because it's complicated. So I'm going to allow yeah. that to be, I'm going to allow that to be complicated and I'm going to come back to my children's real life experience and then what I wish for them. So in real life, when my children were babies, toddlers and preschoolers and into kindergarten and up through first grade, I was still functioning in the way I had experienced young childhood, which was it's my job as the adult to tell you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, to make sure these things happen. And I was mistakenly imagining that my children didn't have input that I should be creating space for, that they didn't, that they were these little creatures who didn't know anything, and it was my job to make them know things. And then once I started learning that that was actually interfering with what was most true, which was that my children were born with their own sovereign spirit, with their own preferences, with their own desires, with their own inclinations that could have been partnered with literally from birth, had I known how to do it, I wish I would have done that, but I've been learning how to do that. So how to partner with children consciously is similar and comparable to how we attempt to partner with other adults because we've been we've been taught to treat other adults like whole people with their own thoughts, own feelings, own preferences, own way of wanting to do things. But we've been taught to think children aren't that and we're creating the children as they grow. That's not true. They have their own ways, their own preferences. And there were times when my children were young that they did try to advocate for themselves. And there were times when I even responded somewhat well to that, despite my overall conditioning when they were younger. And then I learned to really listen and really create equal space and hold equal value for both of our whole humanness. So in your example with bedtime of just creating more space for bedtime, if it's possible to give more time to bedtime so that there's enough time to honor the child's interest and preference in the moment and still get the teeth brushed, then you're partnering. Then you're creating space for both whole humans. It's when we as the adults who have been conditioned to believe that children don't have any input and don't deserve or need space for input, when we've been conditioned to prioritize speed, efficiency, these Mm -hmm. elements that have come with industrialization, we eliminate the space for whole humanity for all people involved. Recreating that does not mean we stop brushing teeth. We, We still brush the teeth. We just create more space when possible. And if we can't, what I when I work with parents and when I still continuously work on myself, when possible, create space for all the people involved. 
we recently adjusted our family schedule and we had a family meeting and everyone got a turn to propose what they thought the best solution to our new scheduling issues would be. And we put them all on our giant dry erase board that I adore that we have in the kitchen. It takes up almost a whole wall. And I love that dry erase board because there's enough space. There's enough physical space on that dry erase board for all four humans that live in my house to draw out their proposal. And then we can see them all and discuss them all and come up with a plan, which is different than the way I was raised which would have been the adults having a private conversation and deciding how to solve the scheduling issues and then telling the children what was going to happen. Yeah. So that's a way that we partner. But we still had legitimate scheduling issues that needed resolution, and we still resolved them. And the adults helped make sure that was where we landed, but with input, with equal voice for the children. I love that example. I have such a visual in my mind now of this large whiteboard mm-hmm. and how it's a physical manifestation of creating space for everyone's opinions and voice and visions and thoughts. It's like literally you've created the space for everyone to co-create yeah. on that board, which I love. And it's funny because we've also talked a little bit today a couple of times about industrialization. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been really into lately is researching how we have modern life set up and why so that because my my dream is that every human gets to thrive and there are certain parts of modern life that are set up that aren't aligned with humans thriving Mm -hmm. and one of them that we've already talked about is time and just our relationship with time. Time, I'm not saying clocks are bad and wrong and throw them in the trash. Uh, And I'm also, but but I'm challenging that time gets to have the ultimate say, that the power belongs to the clock or the power belongs to the plan. Because like you said, in every moment, in every present moment, we still can have freedom and choice. Mm -hmm. So I, and I, the other thing that had come up earlier that I wanted to bring back up now, and because I want to talk a little bit about school. Mm-hmm. So I, I make it sound like we have, I, I, sometimes when I talk about things, I'm like, gosh, I hope our listeners don't think like we have all this dialed in because this is one great big experiment here in our, here in the Cooper house. Yeah. All growth <laughs> is experimental. And yeah, I have four <laughs> children and they all go to schools of various types. And, um, we do that thing where it's like, we even had the conversation this morning because it's Monday as we're recording this, it's Monday. And it was, mommy, do I have to go to school? Mommy, I don't want to go to school. And anyways, I could further that conversation. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was school. And the thing I recently learned that I wanted to share is from a book that I have been reading called Third Wave, written by Alvin Toffler back in the 1980s. It's funny. It's a book about the future that was written Mm -hmm. in the past, in a Mm -hmm. way, like in my childhood era. And he unpacked industrialization and talked about the way that schools were set up. And there was this overt curriculum you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, and there was a covert curriculum. Mm -hmm. And what he points to in the covert curriculum is, and by the way, there were people making industrialists by the making observations that you couldn't take 
a kid off of a farm past adolescence and put them in a factory. It just wasn't working. Like mm-hmm. they, they didn't make good workers. So how do we turn these kids into workers that we can put in the factories? So they created this school system, the industrialization of education, ed- industrialized model of education that we've all grown up in that's starting to fall apart and unwind. And, and, and we're starting to see schools over the last, I mean, it's been happening, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's this sort of unwinding of that rigid system that I I think most of us were schooled inside of. Um, and a lot of people still are. And the, the covert curriculum is what he points to punctuality. Number one, there's three things. You got to teach kids how to show up on time. This whole, like the clock doesn't exist out on the farm. Like we have to teach them punctuality because machines have to be synchronized. Everybody has to work in sequence on the line and whatever. So punctuality. And then also this, this respect for authority, this doing what's told from on high, right? So Mm -hmm. reinforcing that. And then thirdly is this idea of having them be able to do repetitive tasks over and over. And when I learned that, I thought, oh my gosh, like so much of my schooling was these repetitive tasks rather than sort of like expansive explorations. Of course, I went to public schools where the ratios, you know, are higher, student teacher or students to teacher ratios. So there's maybe not as much bandwidth for just having kids learn and explore and play and do all the things. But it also now in hindsight, did feel like I was being indoctrinated in many ways. Mm -hmm. And what I want to say about all of that is that it's been very eye-opening for me to learn that, which is why I'm sharing it with you all in case it's also eye-opening for you. And it's caused me to really pause and take stock of what do I want to do about my kids' education? And I'm still sending them all to school. (laughs) So I just want to also say that I don't think all schools are bad and wrong, but it's brought for me a different relationship with school and a different way of evaluating what schools will send our kids to. And one last thing I'll say here, and then I want to turn it over to you to talk a little bit about the choices you've made related to school, is one of the things that I've done is to unwind, yes, my kids that are in school, all of my kids are in school of some kind. Um, they are being taught the clock and, and, and punctuality. But one of the places that I have felt more parental stress is the morning routine of now I, I can't quote unquote, can't necessarily get more time in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not like bedtime, if I start earlier in the morning, my kids are <laughs> cranky pants and sleep deprived. <laughs> and yes, I could make their bedtimes even earlier, but you get what I mean. There's only so much time we can play with. And so for a while, I was feeling really sort of panicked in the morning of like, oh my God, get his shoes on. And oh my God, we got to get out the door. And this energy was entering into our mornings and still does, by the way, sometimes. I love how you hold space for like all the things. Like this still mm-hmm. sometimes happens. Um, but a lot of the time when we're getting ready in the morning, like we have our certain routines and my mental construct is my kids feelings and the energy that we're creating as a family in the morning is more important than the punctuality lesson that is trying to be imposed upon my kids. Now I've only, it's right now, March, I've only had to sign my daughter into school twice. Um, she's the particular one I'm thinking of, uh, cause the preschool starts later. Hers is the earliest. Um, but I've, it's changed the energy of our mornings because we can allow for what's occurring to occur and make our human 
relationships and thriving together more important than the clock, than Mm -hmm. for someone else having to jump through that hoop and be perfect at it, which of course would have been my, and sometimes is my inclination. So I just wanted to say all of that about schools because they have such an important role and there's so much time, again, back to that idea, there's so much time that our kids spend there for those of us who send our kids to school and they're not bad. It's just how do we relate to them, I think. Mm -hmm. And I am seeing that shifting in ways that make me optimistic. And then of course, you've made a totally different decision, which is to unschool. So you don't even have the like, oh my God, get your shoes on. You know, (laughs) you have a whole different flow and, and I'm just curious what's coming alive for you around the schooling of your kids and this concept of aliveness and, and, and how that looks in your household. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to say I relate to what you're describing. When my children were young and they were in school, they were in a Montessori preschool and, you know, I, and it started early. I mean, I would, I remember setting my alarm for 5 a.m. so that I could get myself up and start getting ready before waking my children at like 6 a.m. because we needed to leave the house by 7 a.m. And having an hour with the two young children was what I felt I needed. So I would wake them up at 6 a.m. And sometimes they weren't really ready to wake up at 6 a.m. You know, they were young. They were still napping in the afternoons. And then they would, you know, go to sleep when they went bedtime. We had more flexibility like you described. But that morning time was rigidly prescribed. And, you know, we there were consequences of being late, the practical having to sign them in, walk them in, or have an assistant from the school walk them to class because we weren't there on time for the regular drop-off protocol. And there was also this mentality at the time, like I remember feeling judged for being late by the director of the school who had a very rigid expectation that everyone be on time all the time. And I I remember the stress of that. And I remember the difficulty I had in prioritizing my relationship with my children over my performance of getting, of achieving this on-time goal and not causing other people problems and not being embarrassed and not feeling the perceived, perhaps it was imagined on my part, perhaps it wasn't judgment for not getting them there on time. So I feel all of that. That all I'm I'm re-experiencing all of that in my body. And then I will say once we made the choice to shift to homeschooling and then eventually unschooling and we were like educational entrepreneurs who could set our own schedule. And so we discovered that we love slow mornings. And we give ourselves the opportunity to experience a slower, less pressured morning together as often as possible with the caveat that when there are events in the world that start at a specific time, whether they are a doctor appointment, a dentist appointment, something at the library that we want to go to, and if they happen to have an early-ish in the morning start time, then we we do what we need to do to be there. 
But that's not our life five days a week, every week anymore. And I don't miss that. I don't miss the stress and pressure of the time constraints in the morning. And I don't, I did not learn how to choose what I was prioritizing from a place of freedom and choice like you currently are doing back then. But I have worked on that now, even with the only occasional things like doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, events that happen at a certain time. Because once we shifted to unschooling, homeschooling, and our mornings could be slower and we could be more relaxed because we could begin, we we had the freedom to shift our begin time according to the day, according to how we were feeling. We still, when we would still have those very specific time constraints, I would struggle and I would get stressed and I would snap at my children and I would unconsciously prioritize the performance over the relationship. And so shifting that has been a process for me that I still remind myself and I have like mantras that I speak to myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. to be late. It's okay to be late. My old story was it was not okay to be late. So Ever. we had we had to not be late at all costs, including the cost of my relationship with my children. Yeah. Once I checked in with myself, and it makes me think about checking in with what's most alive in the moment versus functioning on autopilot from the past. Because yeah. my autopilot functioning from the past was you must prioritize punctuality above all else. Do that. My check-in in the moment was, wait a second, What's, do I really want to snap at my kid and startle them and yell at them to hurry up and cause them to feel scared of me in this moment to try to be on time? The other lesson that really helped me was it rarely worked. Yeah. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't actually successful. If I was like, hurry up, put on your shoes faster, they would startle and kind of freeze and then go even slower because I had traumatized them a little. And I know that language now. At the time, I didn't realize that I was activating their fight, flight, freeze nervous system by snapping at them to hurry up and that my children did not default to, oh, okay, I will hurry up right now. I will, I will achieve what you just said. My children's default modes were like freeze, shut down, go slower. And that helped me yeah. learn about what was happening, and then about what I wanted to prioritize. And so we're still usually on time. You know, like you said, you've only signed your child in late a handful of times, two times. We're still usually on time, but with a different energy, with a different energy. And when I feel free in the moment to prioritize what I most want to prioritize, that feels so much better to me. And the other thing I wanted to share about time and the clock, and this is one of the luxuries and gifts of our current amount of freedom in the mornings. As the season is changing and the sun is coming up earlier, I just recently shifted my morning wake-up alarm that I choose based on when I want to get up it's, it doesn't feel like a have to. It's when do I want to be up? How much time do I want to give myself before I'm then involved in helping facilitating certain things for my children? I just moved it earlier in yeah. alignment with the sun. 
Yeah. And in alignment with my body's desire to wake up closer to sunrise or shortly after sunrise, because I, that is a desire that I feel in my body. And I love when I wake up in the morning and the sky is pink. Yeah. And that just feels so alive to me and so natural and so like what I want to experience. And so in winter, when, when the seasons are changing, if my alarm is set so early that when I get up, it's still very dark that doesn't feel good and right to me. But I I used to be used to that when I was used to a standardized schedule that was the same for the entire year, no matter what the seasons were. And that was just the time I had to get up. So sometimes it was dark. Sometimes the sun had already risen, you know? (laughs) But now I find myself with the freedom to attune to my body, attune to the seasons and make those adjustments as I wish. I love that. And I was actually noticing this very morning when I went to wake up my six-year-old that she had her blankie and her arm like all over her face. <laughs> and for a moment, of course, I thought, oh my God, I hope she can breathe. And it's crocheted. So really there's not big worries because it's got these big <coughs> holes in it. But um, mm-hmm. I sort of peeled it back and I realized that she was doing that because it's finally March Mm-hmm. And it's about to be spring equinox and it's finally actually light out when mm-hmm. I go to wake her up at seven in the morning yes. and her preference would be to sleep till seven thirty or eight. But, um, I can, you know, get her and my son on the other hand, the five-year-old can, he wakes up before, before the sun comes mm-hmm. or right when the sun comes up. So mm-hmm. they have different preferences, each of them, but they also are very connected to the seasons and, I just dream of a day someday in the future when rather than the clock being same day in, day out, year round, that maybe we could shift it because I have the exact same inclination Mm -hmm. and I'm just so glad we're turning the corner towards spring because school starts at 8 a.m. no matter what. And it's, um, it's not necessarily in line with what our bodies are feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, in the winter, I go to bed at like nine, I get in bed by nine o'clock. And that's not the case in the summer, you mm-hmm. know? And I just would love, I'm dreaming of a time when we can allow more human connectedness with the earth and the seasons. Yeah, I love that so much. And I also want to speak to the idea of balance. And I want to share that in my family, once we freed ourselves from most of the external constraints that were determining our schedule, and we had the freedom to be very flexible with our schedule, we did experience for our unique family going to the other extreme to a place that ended up not feeling good to us. Mm. And then we had the opportunity, because when we find ourselves out of balance or out of alignment and it doesn't feel good, and it was a beautiful learning for me as an individual and I like to believe for my whole family, because if we had forever stayed in the functionality of 
conforming to whatever was being imposed on us by what we were choosing. We chose our children's school when they were young. And then as part of that choice, we conformed to the schedule and the requirements of that school. Once we released that and we had the opportunity for freedom, we did enter a season of expansive freedom. And if you don't feel like it, you can wait till you feel like it to do a lot of things. We still wanted them to brush their teeth every night. But but we did talk about it. You know, we didn't force it. We had the conversations. Do you want cavities? These are the consequences. And they and my children to this day will occasionally on rare occasions say, you know what? I'm skipping brushing my teeth tonight. I don't want to tonight. And I do allow space for that. Like I don't say, no, you cannot skip it. But they skip it very rarely enough for me to still feel like most of the time their teeth are getting cleaned. Anyway, we entered this season of really leaning into and playing with our newfound freedom. And we eventually got to a place where we were experiencing not enough structure for Mm -hmm. us to feel balanced and whole. And in some ways, it feels like we were making up for lost time and we were leaning into the other extreme because I feel like industrialization and standardization and what you were naming about the covert curriculum of schools to turn out punctual, obedient, potentially good factory workers, that's an unhealthy extreme, in my opinion. That's over-prioritizing punctuality, obedience, and training humans to abandon what they want, what's true for them, and to orient themselves around what's the best thing for the company, the factory, the machines, the whatever. But if we go to the other extreme of, I will only ever do things when I completely feel like it, and I will only do what I want to do in that moment, and then we discover that nobody ever really wants to wash the dishes. Like, (laughs) nobody's choosing that, you know? And so then we're, like, running out of clean dishes. And then, I mean, we could, and we did something sort of like this for a while, like, in our experiments of what if we let go of things? What if we, you know, what if we don't do the dishes unless we feel like it? Well, then we end up with most of the dishes are dirty. And when we finally have to wash them is when we need a pot or a dish, and it's still dirty. <laughs> and that didn't feel good. <laughs> that, that didn't feel good. So <clears throat> we are still experimenting with and exploring how to balance the things that we now choose to impose on ourselves. So that feels a little different. But yeah. there's still, there's no escaping the sometimes choosing to do what needs to be done when it's not what I most feel like doing in that moment. And same for my whole family. So that's just been an interesting journey. I think sometimes the the fantasy of unschooling is that we let all of those things go that aren't fun and alive in the moment, and we're just living in fun aliveness all the time. And while unschooling has created more space for us, for fun and aliveness. And it has created a discernment process of what can we let go? And we really feel better off without it. 
And what do we need to bring back to come back into yeah. a healthy balance? So that's been interesting. I love how you guys experiment. And you even said at the top of the podcast how growth is experimentation. Mm -hmm. And what did you say? Is that how you said it? Yeah. All yeah. growth is experimental. Yeah. I heard that somewhere. There you go. And so on this sort of last section of the podcast, would you like to share where we're headed in this experiment of soul path parenting? <laughs> yes. I love it. So... Amy and I are both experiencing a shift in what feels most alive for us and where we want to put our time and our energy. And so we're trying to create space for that for ourselves by relaxing our soul path parenting schedule in the sense that we're going to create a little bit more space for ourselves and we may not be releasing episodes every two weeks like we were before mm -hmm. when that was what was feeling most alive to us and most in alignment. And now that we're both individually and together seeking to learn about some new things, explore some new things and you know, I would say even explore the possibility of what else we might create in the future or where we might be headed in our growth journeys. We're creating some more space. So we will be continuing to bring you episodes when that is what's most alive and when when we are in alignment with doing that. And we're also going to be creating some more space for ourselves. So moving yeah. forward, our schedule will be a little bit more flexible. Yeah. And everything you hear will be because it felt super alive and we were really excited to bring it to you. So yeah, I'm so excited where for where we're, we're headed and for the continued conversations. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lauren, for this conversation. I'm so glad that you are back in action. Mostly. Me too. And I'm so glad yeah. too. Yeah, thank you. And it's been so fun to talk with you about what's most alive and to, you know, share where we are and where we're headed. I love it. And thank you listeners for tuning in today. We appreciate you so much. And um, we are glad to be back and we're glad that you're still here with us. So yeah, thanks. thank you and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.